Welcome to Spirit of the Hall, our Teddy Hall podcast series brought to you for Orlarians by Orlarians. My name is Ollie Belcher and I am the president of the St Edmund Hall Alumni Association. I'm delighted to bring you conversations with some of Teddy Hall's most fascinating alumni, fellows and staff. This episode is with Dr Tom Crawford, Teddy Hall's early career teaching and outreach fellow in mathematics, also known as the Naked Mathematician. Tom read maths at St John's Oxford and went on to do his PhD in Cambridge. He joined the BBC on The Naked Scientist but started to miss maths. And so he began his own YouTube channel at the same time as joining St Hugh's College as a lecturer. And I mean absolutely zero experience with a camera or even owning a camera. I decided, right, I'm going to get a camera and I'm going to start making YouTube videos. Tom loves his unique position now at Teddy Hall, combining teaching and outreach. He uses his online presence to promote the hall, including the video with the YouTuber Mike Floyd on how to pass the Oxford Maths entrance exam, which has had over 2 million views. So we decided, right, let's set the pass mark of 60. Anybody was to achieve 60 in this exam, they've got a very, very, very good chance of being invited to interview. Tom believes anyone can study maths. You just need to learn in a way that suits you. His maths tattoos and body piercings also prove that you don't need to be a certain type of person to teach maths at Oxford. I hope that I'm sort of demonstrating to people that you can just be yourself and express yourself and your personality and you know that has no impact on your ability to do your job. Tom, I almost wish I had done maths now. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. It is a pleasure to have you here. So Tom, welcome to Spirit of the Hall. And I know you're a bit of a Teddy Hall celebrity. So I'm, I'm absolutely delighted to be talking to you today. You are the Teddy Hall's early career teaching and outreach fellow in mathematics and also responsible for the teaching of visiting students. What would you say are the most important aspects of your role? For me, it, it comes down to the, the two main things mentioned in the title, really, the, the teaching and the outreach. So I think my main priority is always going to be the students of the college. I absolutely love teaching. It's always been a passion of mine. And I think one of the reasons that perhaps I enjoy it so much and the students seem to enjoy it so much is because of like the enthusiasm perhaps that I bring to to talking anything maths and I think this comes across in my YouTube videos as well just anytime I'm talking about maths I can't help but smile and I can't help but get excited and this happens in you know, every tutorial every lecture that I do I just have a big smile on my face I'm just really excited because I'm doing something that I love. So I love I love the fact that you just love maths so much and have this huge smile on your face and when did you know that you actually wanted to study maths and I mean does somebody inspire you to do so? It's not quite as straightforward as that. Or maybe it's more straightforward. So the way I like to think, or the way I do think about my sort of choosing of maths and going into now teaching maths, is it's just always made sense to me. There isn't that kind of moment where I'm like, oh, I had this particular teacher, or I learnt about this one thing and was like, right, that's it. That's the moment where I am going to do maths this is my subject, this is what I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing. I don't really have that. It's more that just for as long as I can possibly remember, maths has just made sense, it's just been fun, and I've just enjoyed doing it. And fortunately, I guess, I've also been quite good at it. <laughs> you don't yeah. get to be teaching undergraduates at Oxford if you, if you know, you don't know what you're talking about. So 
that was a, a, I guess, a nice addition to the fact that they enjoy it so much. But yeah, it's just something that has always felt natural to me. I think my brain just processes things through numbers and through patterns. Just generally, as I'm sort of going about my, my life and, you know, existing in the world, I think I just kind of, my interactions and the way I'm observing things always seems to come back down to numbers, patterns, which of course is basically what maths is all about. You know, obviously you said you've obviously got to be pretty good to be teaching maths to undergraduates at Oxford, and I'd like to think in particular at Teddy Hall. So can you tell me your journey to become the tutor in maths at Teddy Hall? I went to my local school. Um, I do remember there was a conversation, uh, I say conversation, when I was when I was 11, sort of finishing primary school. I do remember one of my teachers saying to my parents, um, have you thought about um, Tom should maybe go to this local grammar school. So it was still a state school, but a grammar school, so it had an entrance exam. And my sort of parents, I guess, were sort of thought, oh, well, you know, we'll ask him. It's up to him. And as, as any, I think, 11-year-old would, I was like, well, I just want to go to the same school as all my friends, which is the one that's around the corner. Um, and fortunately, it worked out really well. So I just went to my local school, um, you know, did well in my exams, worked hard, and then was able to get a place um, at Oxford so I did my my undergrad in maths was at St John's College so I spent four years there um, and then as I was coming towards the end I really like had reached this position where I felt like I wasn't done with studying now I don't know if everyone thinks this and I was supposed to just kind of ignore that and be done with it anyway I honestly don't know but to me it was like well no I've, I've still got so much more maths to learn and so much more I want to do in this subject that I, I don't feel as though I want to like go and get a job and enter the real world, um, as I sort of would tell myself. And so when I found out that a PhD was possible, I'll be honest, I didn't know what a PhD was at first. Right. The, more I, the more I learned about it and discovered, oh, this is a thing where you can keep studying and you don't have to pay anymore. How Perfect. Do you do this? Yeah, so I just kind of like, right, well, I'm going to go do that because that sounds amazing. Um, and I really enjoyed, I was learning fluid mechanics during my degree and from second year, third year, fourth year, and I was picking all of these options and it was just the, the subject I enjoyed the most. So I thought, right, well, I'm going to do that. And uh, I spoke to some of my tutors and they suggested that Cambridge was in fact the best place in the world to study fluid mechanics. So I was like, right, well, it looks like I'm going to Cambridge. <laughs> so I went over to, to Cambridge for four years to do my PhD, looking at um, trying to model the spread of pollution in the ocean and trying to come up with some equations to help us understand that. Um, and then during my PhD, again, sort of towards, as you're getting towards the end, I was like, right, so what's next? What am I doing next in this kind of four-year, sort of coming to the end of a four-year chunk? And I didn't really know. And so I tried various things. I'd done various internships and, and different bits and pieces during my undergrad. And I was still doing the same as a PhD student. Any opportunity that I had, I would kind of try different things. And I got to do loads of amazing stuff. And something that really stuck with me was I did a two-month placement with a radio production team called The Naked Scientists. And that was to produce a weekly radio show and podcast, um, which went out live on BBC National Radio and BBC Radio 5 Live on a Sunday morning. And I absolutely loved it. So <laughs> the job was basically like, find the breaking science news stories, what was being published that week in scientific journals, and then try and make it understandable and also interview the person doing that research and again try and 
ensure that interview is understandable so that your average listener, uh, potentially around the world in fact, but specifically I guess in the UK, your average sort of BBC radio listener on a Sunday morning could hopefully try and follow and learn a little bit about what was going on in the world of science. And I absolutely loved the, the freedom of being able to kind of pick what to cover because uh, we, we really, you know, you, you had to convince the editor, right? I had to convince my editor that it was a good story and, we, and I should be doing this interview and it would have an, an interest uh, for our audience. But in, in theory, it meant I sort of had this control over what I was covering. And also I was able to keep learning. And I think for me, that was really key that I felt as though I could pick a story in medicine or biology, which I'd never studied. And I'd have to like do some research myself before then being able to understand what they were doing and be able to talk to them about it. Um, and I did this for, as I said, a two-month placement during towards the end of my PhD. And I loved it so much. Unfortunately, they did enjoy having me, uh, that we were able to set it up so that I would start working there full time. And then I began to miss maths. Nice. Sort of four or four to five, six months in, I began to, I was trying my best to get more math stories on the show. And that was one of the reasons that they were very keen to have me on the team as a sort of qualified mathematician. Um, and we did get some, a lot more stories in, but I just missed sort of sitting down and solving problems. So I started doing my own content, sort of in evenings and weekends, using the skills that I'd picked up through my training with the BBC. And then it sort of satisfied that sort of desire to keep doing maths. Um, and then I began to realize that it kind of needed to be video as well. So <laughs> I always find this uh, an interesting thing to talk about because I was working in radio production, podcast production. And yet, I don't listen to the radio or podcasts right. ever. So I thought, well, what do I, how do I consume my media? And in particular, if I'm wanting to learn about some cool new maths, like what would that be? And it was YouTube videos. So despite having no experience, and I mean absolutely zero experience with a camera, not even like photography or even owning a camera, I decided, right, I'm going to get a camera and I'm going to start making YouTube videos uh, because I felt that was the best way to be able to explain this, these ma the maths concepts that, that I wanted to talk about. So I started doing that and then I was really, really, really enjoying it. And it sort of reached a point where I realized that if I wanted to really commit to this, I needed to not have a full-time job. Mm. So after about nine or 10 months working uh, in this position with the Naked Scientists, I decided, right, I'm going to now need to find something else that's going to work and give me enough time to work on Tom Rock's maths and this kind of YouTube videos and various other things. And fortunately, it just so happened that um, St. Hugh's College back in Oxford were advertising for a lecturer in maths. So it was an eight hour uh, a week position. Um, and so it seemed like a good fit. So I was like, right, I'm going to commit to this. I'm just going to dive head first. So I left my job, left Cambridge, came back to Oxford, um, and then did this job for a year. I was like, right, I actually need to figure out how I can make this sustainable. And that was when I then got my first position with Teddy Hall. And then I was able to kind of, I taught at both colleges, both St. Hughes and Teddy Hall for a couple of years. But it allowed me to really commit and grow um, the, the Tom Rocks Maths project. Um, and then Finally, to get to the present day, it's, sorry, it's a very long and convoluted No, story. no, it's, fanta it's fantastic uh, to hear it. This year, start of this academic year, just, just gone, uh, October 2020, started a, uh, my current formal position as the early career fellow in teaching and outreach in mathematics. And this was really, I think, where 
my love for I already of course loved everything about Teddy Hall as soon as I sort of joined uh, and, I, and I can and I say that very genuinely but the fact that the college were willing to give me this position I think was incredible mm. because as far as I'm aware nobody else in the university has anything like a position like this where your role within the college is teaching and outreach mm. of course all colleges will have outreach officers they sometimes have um, fellows for outreach who are sort of try and interact a little bit with the outreach office and the access office but for me to have what is basically a junior research fellowship is basically what the position is modeled on but just replacing the word research with outreach so I'm doing my teaching and then all of the other time of the year the college are just like just please continue doing what you are doing so that's brilliant so was it your idea that you took to the college that you combined the two or did they actually approach you and say Tom, look, you're brilliant to teach in maths, but we also think you'll be the perfect person to for the outreach role and getting out there and you know um, inspiring people to join Teddy Hall. Wh- which way around was it? It was very much both of us at the same time. So I remember um, having a chat with the senior tutor, and I was sort of going in. We sort of, I think, I think we originally had a brief conversation over lunch or dinner, like classic sort of set up and then we decided oh we should have a chat about you know your role in the college and various things because he said some exciting things were happening and I said oh I have some exciting ideas but we didn't really give too much away and then when we sat down it was kind of like I said well I've, I've been doing this kind of half and half position for two years I've been back in Oxford for three years now I'm really looking to have a college to call home mm. and fortunately the college were thinking along exactly the same lines that they were very keen, the senior tutor and the principal, to try and make the most of this kind of online uh, presence that I had created through Tom Rock's Maths. Fantastic. Well, well done to you. And, and, and Tom, I know one of your outreach efforts was last October when you did your 13-minute film with, you know, how hard is it to get into Oxford University, you know, teaching Mike Boyd, the famous YouTube star, how to um, actually pass the Oxford admissions paper in maths. I mean, I, I've watched this and I love it it's brilliant but but can you tell us about it you know about how the idea came about and and um what the process was for you and mike absolutely so it's one of those crazy things that just kind of happened um in in the sense of so i have been doing my own channel now for a few years and uh, as a result of that i get invited to conferences and various things and i went to the the youtube conference in february 2019 it's called vidcon and it was in London. And I was able to attend as a creator. So anyone could attend, but I was able to attend as a creator because I had a sufficiently large channel that YouTube deemed me worthy of attendance of this event, which is, which is very fun in itself. Um, and I was able to meet other YouTube creators. And one of the best things about this event, because I went again in 2020, and unfortunately it was cancelled this year. Um, one of the best things about the event is you're meeting creators from like all, po- you know, I'm meeting people who do makeup tutorials, people who do music, people who do dancing, like anything that's on YouTube, like there was a very good chance that they're based in the UK, they're going to be at this event. And I met all kinds of incredible people. I went to one talk, which was talking about education in particular, and creating educational content on, on YouTube. It was a panel discussion. And I think the discussion was around what role does that content have to play in like a school curriculum? That was the, the sort of prompt. And one of the panel members um, was a guy called Brady Harron. And he produces several incredible educational YouTube channels across sort of maths, physics, computer science, chemistry. 
So all this kind of sciencey subjects, there's a really big YouTube channel in that field and he produces it all. Sort of, he kind of runs half of educational YouTube, to be honest. And um, the big maths channel is called Numberphile. Now, if anyone is, is interested, well, if anyone is a fan of online maths content or watches maths on YouTube, you will have watched a, a Numberphile video for sure. Uh, you can't get away from them, they're just everywhere. <laughs> and they're, they're brilliant though, I should add, they are brilliant. <laughs> and I actually, as a student, grew up watching Numberphile videos. Like when I was at university, it sort of started around when I started university. But I have since spent, you know, during my university PhD, I would watch Numberphile videos because they're really interesting. You learn about, you know, you're hearing from mathematicians all around the world explaining um, various different concepts. But again, for that general or as general an audience as possible. So after the event, I just sort of went up to him and just sort of said, you know, I've been watching the channel for like 10 years and now I'm a mathematician and various things. And he seemed to really appreciate the fact that being told the channel is great from a mathematician. He did ask, I think he was genuinely interested. He asked what kind of research I was doing and different things. And I told him about my fluid dynamics work and sort of after a little while, he kind of sort of looked at me and was like, you're quite good at explaining this. Like, you know, you should think about doing a YouTube video. <laughs> and I was kind of laughing. I was like, well, it's funny you should say that because I have a YouTube channel. Um, and so we ended up having a bit of a chat. And then as a result of that conversation, I ended up sending him an email and we arranged for him to come down to Oxford and to film a series of videos with me explaining different aspects of fluid dynamics that were going to go on the number file channel. Oh, wow. Because okay. I kind of said, you know, you don't have any videos on fluid mechanics, but people love this stuff. So, you know, let's have a go. I'll, I'll explain. And we filmed three videos um, and they went out in the summer of 2019. Fortunately, a really big hit. And so then, you know, he said, well, let's do some more. And then we filmed some more and then we've been filming ever since. So I've now done, I think, 14 in total for the channel. So that was kind of the start of me doing, let's say, reaching a much larger audience. So, so all of these videos I've made for the channel are hitting hundreds of thousands of views. For, for number file videos. I think the first one I did has almost hit a million now, in fact, which is, again, crazy. <laughs> I don't think about these numbers because if I do, I just get lost. And it doesn't well, this is why I, I said at the beginning, you're a celebrity, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> again, I don't want to think about that because it doesn't make sense. So I feet firmly planted on the ground. None of this is real. Um, and so I then went to the conference again at the start of 2020. So it's February, just, be just before lockdowns and, and pandemic and everything else. And I just ended up chatting to um, who I thought was just a friendly Scottish man. And we were just chatting away. And then after a while, he sort of said, I think he kind of mentioned that he really enjoyed my number file video on, on fluid mechanics. And I sort of thought, oh, I was like, oh, I didn't realize he would have recognized me or like, cool, that's awesome. And he was like, yeah, I watch all of these number file videos. And then I, being completely ignorant as I am to many things on YouTube, sort of said, oh, so, you know, do you have a channel? What do you do? And it turns out he was running this, as I said, this was Mike Boyd, huge channel, 3 million subscribers. You know, every video he makes has X millions numbers of views. And, uh, and I had no idea. And so then once I kind of figured out what was going on and we both had this mutual interest of maths videos and maths, I sort of thought, well, maybe we should do a video. And he was like, I'd absolutely love that. He was like, I, I was hoping you would say that. I was like, oh, oh right, wow. well. <laughs> so it just kind of worked out perfectly, you know. And then I came up with this idea and said, right, well, if I'm going to just teach you maths, because the idea of his channel is he learns a new skill. So he might pick something like um, holding his breath underwater for a, long for a long time, or maybe being able to hit the right pitch with his voice to smash a wine glass. But it's all about like learning a skill. And so I said, well, 
And he was very keen, actually, to emphasize that maths is a skill like anything else that he would learn. And so that's very much what I believe in. It's, it's um, you know, you need to learn it in a certain way that makes sense to you as a person, because I'm aware for some people maths is easier than for others, just like with any other skill or with any other subject. Some people have natural talent, some people don't. But you can, if taught it in the right way and you find the right way to learn it, you can actually improve it and like with any skill. I came up with this concept, I said, well, let's give ourselves a goal. Rather than me just teaching you some maths, we're going to need some way of measuring this. And so I felt that given my position at university and being involved with admissions and different things, I thought, well, why don't we, you know, why don't I get you to pass the maths entrance exam? So he thought this was great. So he came down to Oxford, stayed in Teddy Hall, filmed the whole video in college, uh, in the old library, in the old dining hall, uh, in the front quad, everything. So we had him sit the exam uh, on the first day uh, with no prep. So I should stress, he did a degree in engineering several years ago. But, you know, he obviously has a decent background. Um, so I knew I was starting at a reasonable level where this might be achievable in a few days because that's kind of what we had to turn it around in. Um, so on day one, I was like, right, you're going to just sit a paper cold. Let's just see what we're dealing with. Uh, and he sat the paper. And I think he scored something in the 20s um, out of 100. And then we said, right, so I'm going to teach you to pass this exam. So there isn't like a hard pass mark. But if you look at, and these statistics are available, the average mark of somebody who is successfully offered a place, it's somewhere between 60 to 70. So we decided, right, let's set the pass mark of 60, because if he was to achieve, anybody was to achieve 60 in this exam, they've got a very, very, very good chance of being invited to interview. I think something like over 90% of candidates who score over 60 are invited to interview. So felt like that was a reasonable mark to set. But again, it isn't the actual pass mark because one doesn't exist. So we did a few days of teaching and there's nice little montages of, you know, I was in the old library and, and this, you know, literally was actually happening. We weren't just sort of, you know, fake shooting these. This was actually, I taught him for about 12 hours a day for two days straight uh, until we both kind of were super tired. And then we were like, right, day three, you're going to have to sit this. Um, and we had one chance to do it because he was getting a train back uh, in the afternoon and the train was pre-booked. And he did it in his subfusk, which I loved. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's just brilliant. So, of course, you don't, yeah, well, of course, you wouldn't sit the admissions test in your subfusk because you're doing it at school or, you know, at home or at a, at a test centre near your actual location around the world. But I felt like it was a good opportunity to bring in a little bit of that Oxford tradition mm -hmm. and that history so I lent him my subfusk. Uh, yeah, and then we, we had him sit the exam. Um, and that was the video, really. It was, it was I loved it. And, and I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Well, the crucial point is I, I thought he got about 37% in that first taking. And then, and then he got 62%. Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, I, I may have forgotten the exact numbers. Which is amazing. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, he, he was definitely a long way below on the first one, shall we say. And then by the by the second one, uh, yeah, he did he did genuinely just scrape it, <laughs> and it was by one question. I would urge anyone to watch it, any listeners to watch it, because it really is it's great fun, and it's also um it, it's great, and you know it's now had over two million views that this this thirteen minute film. Do you think it has actually you know attracted new students to the college as a result, and in subjects other than maths too? So, I guess we won't know until admissions uh, this year because mm. this came out in November um, last year so the start of November so of course all uh, admissions had already been submitted in October 
um, to to Oxford. And you and you don't worry that people will um, potential students will watch this film. You know how to get how to pass the maths admissions paper. They do all the practice and then they don't pass. You don't worry they're going to um, blame you in any way. I'd I'd like to think not. <laughs> I mean, again, we we do we do sort of try to emphasize what I mentioned before and we do talk about this in the video that the admissions test is only part of one part of the application uh, process and one part that makes up your whole application as a candidate. You know, you, you, I have seen students who have scored much less than 60 who have been offered places and students who've scored much higher than 60 that are not offered places. Mm -hmm. So there isn't like a, a hard pass and fail um, in that sense. So I'm, I'm personally comfortable enough with saying, you know, um, this is what we did for the video purposes. And in general, if you're scoring above 60, you are putting yourself in a very strong position mm. with your application, but it doesn't guarantee anything. Sure. But thinking about um, maths at school, it seems to be a requirement for GCSE students to keep taking maths GCSE until they pass, or until they hit 18. You know, and I, and I know, you know, or I've heard of students who've had to sit it three times would this time not be better put into subjects that they do like? Or also along that line of thinking, you know, what essential math skills do you think everyone should have? And is the endless resetting of, you know, GCSE um, maths the best way to ensure that they have those skills? Uh, difficult one. Because <laughs> I'm certainly... <laughs> so on the spot. <laughs> I'm, yeah, no, I, no, I'm massively in favour of improving everyone's ability to work with numbers. And, and one of my favourite scientific studies that I covered in my old role when I was at the BBC uh, was actually a study carried out in America which showed the higher the level of maths you study through your education, the better decisions you make in life. And I just thought that was just such a fantastic sort of like message to get across to people. And it doesn't, so it was the, there's the obvious ones as in terms of financial decisions, because, you know, the more mathematically literate you are, perhaps the, the easier you understand what can be quite complicated finances and, and different things. So those ones make sense. But they found in this study that just because you have a higher understanding and knowledge of maths, you actually understand risk factors a lot better. So when you're making a decision, you're able to reason between the pros and the cons a lot better because you can sort of like assign values to, you know, you can figure out that everyone can sort of maybe think about pros and cons, but you're almost like able to give a numerical value in some sense to each of them and ultimately then weigh, weigh up your decision. So I'm very much in favor of helping everybody to, to have that base mathematical understanding because I think in general it's great for society. And again, according to this study at least, it's great in general for everyone's uh, decision making in life. But at the same time, like you said, I don't think endlessly resitting the exact same thing is going to help anybody. No. So I think if, if in particular you're, you're failing at a certain exam now, or a certain qualification, now there's kind of two ways I would look at that, which are either there's potentially some mitigating circumstances, there could be a reason as to why you are failing that. And in that case, then of course, a resit would make sense. But if it's literally like, you know, as far as you could tell, everything was fine on the day, everything seemed okay in your preparation, and it just doesn't make sense to you, then there's no point in sort of making you do it all again and, and resitting. Because if you're going to be taught it in the exact same way, or the information is presented to you in the exact same way, 
we've already seen that your brain is not processing the information in that form. So that is, you know, almost like the definition of <laughs> doing the same thing on repeat and expecting a different answer, like the definition of insanity. So I think what we should be doing is if, if they're engaging and if it just doesn't make sense to them, then you need to, I think, think about, well, how else can you reframe the information so that they understand it? And it comes back to my point about saying you need to learn in a way that makes sense to you as an individual. So, for example, um, when I was growing up as a kid, so I'm a big football fan and I used to really enjoy playing the football management games on my computer. And I think I got really good at percentages through transfers, contract fees, all of this kind of financially stuff that I was doing in this football management game. So, I mean, to me, they made sense anyway, because I think, you know, I have this natural ability, I think, when it comes to maths and numbers. But something like that, if somebody isn't understanding percentages, things, I think if they happen to be, let's say, a football fan, and you suddenly start talking to them in that language, then that hopefully would, that's something they're more familiar with. They probably know a lot about football transfers if they're a big football fan. So when you start communicating and trying to explain the concepts in kind of their world, I think that is a really powerful way of helping people to understand it. So then of course, teachers in schools almost certainly do not have time to do this for each individual. But I think ultimately that's kind of what you need in some of these situations. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, so, so Tom, something else that I love, you know, that you've done at Teddy Hall is um, your Teddy Hall Rocks Maths essay competition, um, which I believe had, you know, 160 entries from school students this year. Was this your idea and what does the winner get and what benefits do you expect from the college from this competition? So, yeah, I, I started this um, in 2020, actually. And I just felt that um, you see essay competitions exist for uh, English, for history. And, and from talking to some of the tutors in those subjects across lots of different colleges, because, of course, not all colleges do this. And, um, and I just talking to them, they sort of said that in general, what they see is, first of all, it's a really good opportunity as an A-level student, um, as a high school student, to actually sort of stretch yourself beyond the syllabus. Because we, we talk about as tutors at university, you say you need to do all of these things beyond the school syllabus. But for a lot of people, those opportunities don't exist. And they're often like relying on self-study or watching YouTube videos or trying to read books. So it's just providing some kind of competition like this, I think, gives you something where they can write about in their personal statement and demonstrate that they are interested in their subject beyond their school because they have taken the time to write, you know, a few pages worth of an essay about a mathematical topic. But then in terms of the benefit to the college, again, from talking to other tutors and other disciplines who do similar things, I think having that, again, the presence that it's the essay competition at Teddy Hall. There are no other maths essay competitions across any university as far as I'm aware. So it's very unique in that sense. Um, and I just think it just then kind of, it gives the students the awareness of the college and it just gives them a reason to pick Teddy Hall as their college. It's really great, Tom. And, and another outreach program I love, which you've started, is interviewing students across the hall who have been doing dissertations in their subjects. What was the motivation behind these interviews and, and what do you plan to do with them? So the motivation was really just to showcase the amazing stuff that's happening at the college. Um, so it's something, I'll be honest, I wasn't particularly aware of 
as, as a staff member. You, you sort of, I'm aware of what my mathematicians are doing, but, uh, and I'm aware of maybe some of the research that my colleagues in other subjects are doing. But in terms of undergraduate students, you know, beyond perhaps knowing how many of them got what marks in exams, beyond that, you don't really know too much about what they're studying or what they're doing. And, and when it sort of came to light that, in fact, in a lot of these subjects, um, you have to write a dissertation, I just sort of felt, you know, talking to, to Luke in the outreach office, we just felt that was a really good opportunity to kind of use my experience and knowledge of creating a video and interviewing to just have a chat with the students about what they've been doing and then create hopefully a short 10 minute video just, you know, of them explaining the amazing stuff that they've been getting up to as an undergraduate student, just kind of as a, a little bit of like inspiration perhaps for either other undergraduates who are looking for ideas, maybe for, for dissertations, but also hopefully for prospective applicants and prospective students so they can see some of the amazing stuff that the current students are doing and sort of hopefully get excited by that and think, oh, this is what you can do at Teddy Hall. That sounds amazing. Maybe I should apply to Teddy Hall. It's such a great resource. I wish it had been there when I was applying. So Tom, I'm going to bring it back to you now. I'm going to bring it back to you now. You know, your life's work seems to be to make maths fun and to break down the stereotypes um, about mathematicians. I've got to ask you this question. Was this the motivation behind all your amazing body piercings and wacky hair and tattoos, which even comprise numbers? It's, it's not the motivation. It's, it's that that is my personality. Um, I, right. you know, I started getting tattooed when I was an undergrad student a long time before I even became interested in sort of, you know, outreach work and, and YouTube and things. So no, I've been getting, I've been getting tattooed for a good over 10 years. Um, and similarly, I had these, these big spikes I have in my ears. I've had these in my ears since I was 16. Um, so no, this is just my personality. But I do think you, you make an important point, which is that I, I hope that I'm sort of demonstrating to people that you can just be yourself and express yourself and your personality in the way you look, the way you dress, the way you act even. And, you know, that has no impact on your ability to do your job. So my job is to teach maths. My job is to be good at maths. And it's, again, it's brilliant that, that um, Teddy Hall in particular and, and the university to some extent are, you know, supportive of that and are not sort of taking these very outdated views of you need to be a certain type of person and look and behave a certain way, um, you know, to, to example, to teach at the university. Um, so no, it's, it's the, the maths tattoos, again, they existed before, before I started doing any of this. Um, I've, I've certainly been adding to them and then similarly with my other tattoos and piercings and things. But no, this is just very much my, this is just me and my personality. Um, and I, I'd like to think that the fact that it is authentic um, in some sense sort of perhaps helps to create that connection with my audience as well. Absolutely. It is, it is just me. It's not like an act. Yeah, well, I have to say, I, I, I wish um, I'd been taught maths by you. <laughs> um, and, and Tom, you, you seem really happy about being at Teddy Hall and the opportunity that's been presented to you. So, so thinking about Teddy Hall, what would you say the spirit of Teddy Hall is? I think it's just the community of the college. I don't know if you can define that as the spirit, but I think just just the feeling of, of when I joined my, my first day, I can tell you a story I think which sums it up. My, my first day at the college happened to coincide with Kathy, the principal, her first day. 
So she was having um, like a sort of drinks reception in the front quad to sort of welcome her to the college and various things. Um, and of course, everybody in the college was invited and, and I sort of went along thinking this would be a good opportunity having just joined the college to sort of meet my colleagues. So I knew the other two maths tutors, Oliver and Luke, but I hadn't really met anybody else in the college. So I went along and it was just, first of all, just everyone was exceptionally friendly, perhaps as you would expect with the, with the champagne flowing and whatnot. But, but then Kathy came over to me and sort of said, oh, you're the, you're the mathematician chap that's just joined as well. And like, she already just knew everything about me and you know, was already like saying all of these ideas she had and saying, oh, we need to get you in touch with like the comms team. And just like, just that kind of sense of knowing sort of almost, not like everything, but just knowing all of the people around. And of course, I'm sure that in some sense is part of Kathy and her personality. But I just think in general, it's a really good summary of like the community that's created in the college almost like the fact that it's quite small and so everyone's so kind of close together you just kind of I feel as though everybody like in a good way everybody knows everybody else and kind of takes an interest an active interest in everybody else and what's happening and it just creates that really strong sense of community amongst the students and amongst the staff as well which I just think is fantastic so I think that to me is is like the main way that I would try and sort of summarize the spirit of the whole. Lovely. And, and, and in, our, in our world that seems to be changing all the time, I mean, I mean, as you said, 20 years ago, none of the technology of today even existed. If you could guarantee one thing about Teddy Hall that would never change, what would that be? Sports. <laughs> the, uh, the, the passion for sport. I've, I've never seen anything like it. Um, so, so as I said, I'm a I, um, big football player uh, and just... Like, uh, yeah, having, having played for the, for the football team and sort of, it's, it's again, it's a great community within, within the football team, but just the absolute passion for it um, and sort of the importance that's placed on it. Um, and I think you see this across all of the, the sport in college. For example, when the um, postponed uh, rowing races, bumps racing was happening uh, a couple of months ago, because it was, of course, postponed until, I think they did it in June in the end, the first one of the year. It was sort of like, you know, we were getting like email updates about how the college boats were doing and it was all over social media and it was, you know, written on the walls around college. I just felt like, again, I think it taps into that community that everyone kind of cares so much about everybody else within the college and the college itself. And I think the sports teams are a really big part of that. So I think regardless of what happens in the future, I think Teddy Hall will always be a big sporting college. And I think that really helps actually to foster that community that's generated within the college. Yeah, fantastic. Tom, you know, I I just love speaking to you today. You know, you, you really are brilliant. You know, I'm just so glad that, the, uh, that you and the college together forged this role. But before you go, can I ask you to leave us just with three places in the world, in Oxford, and in Teddy Hall that are you know, special to you? That's a question. <laughs> so I think a special place for me in the college in Teddy Hall uh, was somewhere I found completely by accident and I probably shouldn't have actually discovered, but I did and it was incredible, was the tower in the library. So I was, I can't remember why I was up there, but anyway, I went, <laughs> I was in the tower in the library and one of the doors was open and I was like, oh, I didn't know there was a door here. And I kind of opened it. Uh, I think now looking back, I think it was actually a fire exit. But I went inside this door and it was just a spiral staircase in complete darkness 
filled with cobwebs. It was like from the Lord of the Rings when Frodo's trying to fight through all the cobwebs being chased by the giant spider. Full of cobwebs. And I was just decided, well, I'm going to explore this. And I went down this staircase and it eventually came out um, at the bottom of the tower and came out into Queen's Lane through what, again, I think is a fire exit. But that just entire experience, that sort of like two minute experience, I actually felt like sort of Indiana Jones exploring <laughs> some kind of like hidden temple. And the fact that something like that exists within the college, I think is awesome. So like for giving me that sense of adventure and excitement, I think that's now officially my favorite place in college. Then in Oxford. Just don't say St. John's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, my favorite place in Oxford, I think, it's quite a big place, but it would just have to be the river path along Port Meadow. So as someone who, I do a lot of running, um, and I just think there's nothing better when you're going for a run than sort of heading out into Port Meadow and going along the, the river path in particular. I really enjoy sort of on the far side of the river coming out in, in Wolvercote and then looping back round either through the town or through the canal or, or even the meadows themselves. But just that river path is just kind of, it's like my escape. If I'm, if I'm, I, I treat running sometimes as a bit of an escape and a bit of a way to de-stress and, um, and the river path in particular, I find is just amazing to just be so quickly out in nature within sort of five minutes of leaving college. I can be um, out in the middle of nowhere, sort of running along a river. I think it's amazing. Finally, the world beyond Oxford. So this is difficult because I often get asked, where's my favorite place I've visited around the world? And I kind of usually cheat and give like three because I can never pick a favourite. So I can give you a quick rundown of my three favourite places. Um, so first of all, I absolutely adored my visit to Seoul in South Korea. I just found it to be such a fantastic city with so much happening and the people were some of the friendliest people I've ever met um, in my life. I just absolutely loved everything about South Korea and I felt like Seoul, of course, being the big sort of central point of that was just brilliant and I loved it. Then also... Slightly more left field, Kiev in Ukraine. I went there for my 30th birthday a couple of years ago um, and just had the most amazing weekend. Uh, I think a lot, I, I absolutely loved the, the city and, and everything about it, but I think possibly a lot of that had to do with the, the company and, and it being my birthday and everything else. But I have very, very fond memories of, of Kiev. The other one in terms of favorite places would be um, Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. So. I, um, during my PhD, I was fortunate enough to do uh, what's called a research cruise. So I sailed around the Southern Ocean, around Antarctica for six weeks on board a ship, uh, collecting data from the ocean to, to look at climate modeling. Um, and on the way back with one of my friends, we decided instead of flying directly back to Cambridge and getting back to work, we were going to take a two week holiday to travel around Brazil. Um, and we spent some time in Rio de Janeiro and it was just amazing. Um, just sort of the whole, again, the, the people, the, the whole city itself was just a full-on party atmosphere. And it wasn't even like carnival season, just everything about it just felt really amazing. So they're my, my three places that I would usually say to someone as my favourite three places I've visited. So I guess pick one from there. Thank you, Tom. And, and, and let's hope lots of great students apply to Teddy Hall, yeah, thanks to your fantastic efforts. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Dr. Tom Crawford and maybe now see the world of mathematics entirely differently. If you haven't seen the video on how to pass the Oxford Maths Admissions Test, 
I certainly would. It's great fun. Our next episode will be with Mike Shaw, who came up to Teddy Hall in 1959 to read history and later became the managing director of the publishing agency Curtis Brown. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.